to be good to be back with you after a couple of weeks of not not uh, speaking at this campus and I'm so delighted to see our River Islands folks all collectively coming together aren't you glad that we're not out in the park today right yes yes so we made a wise choice in in choosing the dates and the Lord was faithful to us it's good to see Becky back there. Becky, I just want to give a shout out to you. I'm so, we've been praying for you. I hope you're healing up and your bone is, uh, your, I think it's your clavicle, right? It's been come, uh, mending really, really well. And I also want to say uh, great love to Sally, and, who is here today. And we love you, Sally. And uh, Sally um, was uh, said, see you later to her husband of 54 years, um, uh, just a few days ago, Jerry went graduated to, to go home to be with the Lord. And next Sunday is a big Sunday for us at New Life. Um, in the morning, we'll have our children's Christmas program and Kitty College program, and it's gonna be a great time. But then that afternoon at two o'clock, right here in this room, we will have a celebration of life gathering for Jerry. And we're gonna honor him, and we're gonna honor him well. Somebody say amen. amen. This is a man who served this church well with integrity and passion and commitment and joy and uh, a father figure in my life and uh, love him very, very much and really looking forward to the day that we'll all be reunited again. But we wanna care for Sally and we wanna care for her family. We love her very, very much. So I have a favor to ask. I need you to jot a couple things down if you would. I need some people to volunteer. You can put this in your Connect card or you can contact us through texting the church or stop by the Connect corner or see Pastor Trent or one of us afterwards. But I, we need uh, 500 cookies. 500 cookies is no big deal. Somebody can bake 500 cookies, or maybe a couple of you can bake 500 cookies. We need 500 cookies. Uh, we need 350 bottles of water. That's what we need. So um, they're catering in the meal afterwards, but those are things that we can do very easily. So 500 cookies. Some of you can jot that down. I'll be a part of that, and I want you to be a part of that. Uh, and uh, 350 bottles of water. And so if you can help with those two things for next Sunday, we would greatly appreciate that. We're so grateful for your help in serving this family. And really, what we also want is we want you to be here. Like you to be here to honor the life of Jerry. Um, if you don't know the story, Jerry and Sally, first Sunday we opened the church at an elementary school. Uh, Joseph Widmer here in Lathrop I showed up after uh, we set up the church in the gymnasium and I went home to change my shirt because I'm just drenched, I'm just sweating and setting this thing up and I came back to the first gathering of the church that, that I happened to be starting and uh, I was greeted by people who I didn't even know who they were and it was Jerry and Sally were greeting at the front door. I'd never met them before that I can recall, but they, they showed up to the church and saw that we didn't have any greeters and they began greeting and I was, I was, uh, I, I thought, well, I'm going to come back to this church now. <laughs> anyway, uh, wonderful, wonderful people and, and uh, it was our privilege to, to walk that walk with Jerry in his final, final chapter and we're walking it with you, Sally, and we're committed to that all the way through. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Um, I, uh, I am really excited about the empty chair gathering also on, on Thursday. So hopefully you can be here. Uh, it's so important that you register so that we can make sure we honor your loved ones. And somebody asked me, they said, well, well what, if, what if I have more than one? It's okay. We're going to put all the names on one poinsettia. And the hope is that after the gathering, you can take that poinsettia home and maybe put it by your Christmas tree or in the centerpiece of your table and just remember and honor and, and, and you know, and, and work through whatever feelings you're experiencing. And so praise the Lord, we get a chance to do that together on Thursday night.
We are continuing our study of the story. How many of y'all enjoying the study of the story? A jet tour through the word of God in 31 weeks. And if you haven't been with us or you haven't picked up a copy of this, we still have some copies available at the back table. But we're this week, we're doubling down. Should be our final week that we double down, but we were looking at chapters 19 and 20 of the 31 chapters in this book. If you haven't been reading it or you're new to New Life or you're a guest this morning, you're dialed in and you're like, I'm not sure what you're talking about, don't worry. You'll understand in just a moment. Let me give you a quick synopsis of kind of where we've been uh, um, uh, so far in the story. It started off with Adam and Eve, and of course they sinned, and God removed from them the opportunity to be in paradise, but God immediately began a plan, a plan to re-engage his people, try to bring his people back into relationship with him. God's plan was to start a nation, and the nation that he was going to start was Israel. Now, that might not have been our plan, but that was God's plan, and so this nation Uh, rebelled against God over and over and over again. By the time they became a nation, God had given to them a series of 11 judges and nine different prophets and and 38-ish different different kings, 33 of which were evil in the sight of God. So God's been working to get them to come back into relationship with him. And at this point in the story, forgive my my lack of ability of, of drawing, but if this is the nation of Israel, what's happened at this point is God God has, or, uh, God has allowed the nation of Israel to be divided into two parts. There's a northern kingdom and there's a southern kingdom of the nation of Israel, right? All right, so because they rebelled against God, God allowed them to be overtaken by the enemy. And so uh, he allowed the southern kingdom to be overtaken by the Babylonians, an evil empire and an evil king. King Nebuchadnezzar comes in and wipes out the southern kingdom. God allows the northern kingdom to be, to be wiped out by the Assyrians. Uh, um, let's just do it like this. Let's just put, let's just put one pair. But God allows the northern, northern I apologize those of you walking and watching on, at home with your children. Um, the, uh, the, the northern kingdom was taken out by the Assyrian army. Both were evil empires, evil kings, but God allowed them to be wiped out. And so what happens now, right here was the capital city of Jerusalem, of the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was known as, get this really creative as Israel the southern kingdom was known as as Judah are you with me so far you're like wow I get like a geography lesson a history lesson all at once but we're going to understand God's word and so if the southern kingdom was Judah the northern kingdom was Israel the whole thing used to all be called Israel but it got divided the Assyrian army comes in and attacks takes over Israel the northern kingdom the Babylonian army comes in and attacks and takes over the southern kingdom and what happens is is all of the people are then put into exile. What what is exile? Let's take a look at what exile is. We'll put it up on the screen for you. Exile, uh, Exile is being forced to live where you don't belong. So now these folks are being forced to live where they do not belong. I mean, they've been kicked out of their country. Their homes have been burned down. Their cities have been decimated. The temple, the city as they know it, is totally in ruins it's destroyed. This is the nation that God built in order to bring them back into relationship with him. But when they disobeyed God and they bowed down and began to worship graven images and other false gods, God has had it. 
And when he's had it, how many know that's a big deal, right? And he allows the enemy to come in and take them over. Now they're in exile, and it's been a really, really difficult time for the nation of Israel. How does this connect to us? Well, let me, let me tell you, this isn't, exile is not just a, a, a distant historical event. Exile is experienced by every generation since. And in some sense, you and I are in exile today. We are, put the definition back up for me, would you please? We are forced to live where we don't belong. Because this world is not our home. Somebody say amen. We're in exile here because we don't, we're in the world, but we are not of the world. This is not, we're going to bloom where we're planted, but we're going somewhere else to spend all of eternity. I don't know about you, but when people that we love, that we really love, graduate, that's the word I like to use, but when they pass on to heaven, people who knew Jesus, and they're introduced to God, and they hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, like my dear brother Jerry, I get a little bit jealous. I get a little bit anxious. Of course I'm sad. Of course it's, it's painful to imagine life without that person that we love so very much. But, but I want to go home. And that's how, that's how the nation of Israel was feeling. They were in exile, but they really wanted to go home. And this is a, like a word picture in historical context for us to understand heaven. They, they, wanted, they wanted desperately to go home. They were approximately 900 miles away from home. And they wanted to go home desperately. They'd been scattered. Some had been taken in, into captivity. Some were in bondage. Some were slavery. But they longed to go home. And then finally, there's some good news. You get to read about it in the book of Ezra, chapter 1, which we're going to take a look at in our storybook in just a moment. But they, they get to go home. After decades of isolation, a light appears at the end of the tunnel. And if you've got your book, page 263 is what we're gonna be reading from, right in the center of the page. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. Hit the pause button for just a second. Troy, I heard you talk about the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, Israel and Judah. I heard you talk about the Assyrian army coming and taking over the northern kingdom. I heard you talking about Babylon, Babylonian army coming in and taking over the southern kingdom. They're in exile, but where in the world does Persia come into this? The king of Persia. By the way, when they're taken into captivity in Babylon, that's in Iraq. That's modern day Iraq. But now the king of Iran, of Persia, is being mentioned. Now let's take a look at what this says. This is what Cyrus, the king of Persia, says. By the way, he wasn't a good guy until now. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Hmm. And to build the temple of the Lord. Um, excuse me, any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. And in any locality where survivors may now be living, because remember they were scattered, the people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, with, fi with free will offerings for the temple of God in, in Jerusalem. 
Jerusalem. I want you to see this is an amazing event that is unfolding. Pause for a second. I got to give you a little information. I said we're studying two chapters today. I'm only going to touch on one. I got to choose between the one that's exciting and the one that's not exciting. Can I just be honest with you, right? Chapter 20 is the exciting one. Chapter 20 is King Xerxes and Mordecai and Queen Esther and what a great story and all, and Haman and oh, it's a great hanging and drama and it's wonderful stuff. I could have preached and talked to you on that one, but that's a story that speaks for itself. I'm choosing to take chapter 19, which is a little bit more challenging because I want you to understand that even in all this history that God is giving to us, we find Jesus right in the middle of the story. And now we just read that the king of modern-day Iran, of Persia, is, is saying to all of the exiles, guys, you're free. I have authority in this world, and you're free from your slavery and your exile and your bondage and your captivity. You can go home, number one, and he's saying to them, number two, I'm going to pay for it for you. I'll underwrite this. Here's a blank check for you to be able to go home and to rebuild and to rebuild your temple. So in this amazing event, turn of events, God turns the heart of the, the king of Persia toward the Jews. It's an exciting thing. And they're, they're sent home. And, um, and the first thing that they decide that they're going to do is they are going to, I realize, don't get all new, you know, the, theologically correct on me. There's no cross yet because it's not the New Testament. Just play with me now. This is the temple. Okay, the first thing that they're going to do is they're going to go home and they're going to build the temple. I don't know if that is a big deal to you or not, but it's a it's a really big deal to me because I want you to remember Jesus had not come yet. It's still five and a half centuries before Jesus comes to the earth before the Christmas celebration would ever take place for the first time. There's no God in the flesh with them. So without the temple, God's presence really wasn't there. You see, you see, for the Jews, the temple is a visible reminder that God wants to be with his people. The temple communicates a foundational truth. What is that foundational truth? God wants to be in your neighborhood. God wants to be right here with you. Remember, the temple wasn't built on the side of some mountain somewhere overlooking the entire city. The temple was intentionally built in the middle of the town so that when people walk by, they would recognize and understand that God wants to be with us. And so in 538-ish B.C., the Jews, funded by, uh, uh, by a foreign king, are allowed to go back home again. And the first thing they decide to do is, at taking this 900-mile trek, the first thing they decide to do is they're going to rebuild the temple. And man, were they zealous. They wanted to get this temple rebuilt. In fact, let's read about just a little bit on page 264, Ezra chapter 3, verses 1, 2, and 3. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, here we go, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. Then Joshua, son of Josedak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and his associates began to build the altar of the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what was written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar 
on its foundation and sacrifice burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both morning and evening sacrifices. This communicates to us that they were united, that they were in this thing together. They were in it to win it. And the Bible tells us that, that even though outsiders came, tried to discourage them from building the temple, they stayed on task. They made God's priority their priority. Now, now remember that. Because something happened Something always happens, doesn't it? As you're reading through this, don't you kind of, oh, this sounds great. And by now you know something's gonna happen, right? It always happens. And it always happens in our lives too, does it not? Something always happens. They lost their focus. They were building this temple. They lost their motivation. They began to give less attention to the house of God and more attention to their own houses. Maybe they got tired of, you know, physically stacking stones and stirring the mortar. I don't know. Maybe they, they, they got tired of the taunts and the jeers and being made fun of by the dissenters that were all around them. You probably read about that this week a little bit. Maybe they, the threats of violence from their enemies who were watching them from afar just became too intimidating to them and they're like, just, I, I can't, I can't deal with the pressure. But more than likely, they just started thinking about their own personal endeavors and their own life, and they got distracted. They got distracted, which is, which is, you ever done that? They got distracted. I mean... I was a little embarrassed. Ashley, where's Ashley at? Ashley, she's probably, she's in the kids' room right now. I got a little embarrassed when Ashley was up here and talking about hand warmers. That I was born and raised in the Midwest in Iowa. All my friends would dis, disassociate with me totally if they ever heard that we were talking about hand warmers in 50 degree weather. I'm just, you know what I'm talking about. That's short weather, baby. That's bikini weather. Go outside and roll, roll you know. Anyway. Um, Maybe you've made a big commitment to God and you said, and I might be hitting some of you that are home, just don't, don't be offended unless it's the Holy Spirit, but maybe you made a big commitment to God and said, oh, New Year's resolution, I will be in church every Sunday this year. I promise you, God. And then we get a blizzard that happens in Lathrop, Manteca area each year. It, it's about a half an inch of rain. You know what I'm talking about? Um, <laughs> And you hear the pitter-patter of the raindrops on your rooftop at about 9 o'clock in the morning, and you're like, church starts at 10.30, but you know what? God will understand. And so you decide, well, I'll just watch it later or dial in online and you know you flip them back between the the Chiefs Raiders game and the and, and you know talking about some of you don't tell me the score because I'm recording that baby I'll watch that when I get home you know what I'm saying but but you're, you're flipping back and forth you're just doing those things and I'm not putting anybody down I'm, I'm not judging I'm saying I get it Maybe, maybe you found out about, I don't know if you've heard the latest about our, what's happening with New Life Church and the new thing that's happening in, in our Modesto campus and the transformation that it's going through, that it's now going to be known as, as of, as of the first of the year, it'll be known as the New Life Dream Center. And the Dream Center has already got a, 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 a miracles are happening. Mir I'm, we're, we're talking about things. I'm just going to hit a commercial for just a second because I'm so excited about this. But the New Life Dream Center, uh, so many things have happened. We're talking about, uh, so New Life Dream Center. 
And this, the signs are changing, everything's happening, but it's a, the, the whole mantra of the whole thing is, is uh, you, you can live a better life. You can live a better life. And we're gonna have all kinds of side doors to help people understand and to know and to understand and connect with Jesus. We, we currently have a, we have a fitness center uh, if you guys are looking for a fitness center to get back in shape, we, 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 we transformed a couple of rooms there. We've got indoor, outdoor fitness facilities. It's kind of exciting. In fact, just this week, just, just this week, we wanted two major pieces of equipment. One was $8,900 and one was $4,400. And we, uh, the team and I prayed together. We contacted the owners of the things and I explained to them what it is we were doing and I asked them to donate the things. And of course, they would not donate the things because I was a nut job to them. But in, but in the end of our conversations, uh, we were able to get this one for 500 and this one for 700 dollars because god was faithful and so we were able to get the equipment that we need to make this full fitness center be a, it's just a miracle the neighborhood the people the church family whatever and come together and work out and do their things indoor outdoor facilities we've got we, we've got a compassion store um, um the compassion store will be open um it's got uh, non-perishable foods huge huge about half the size of this room um it's got non-perishable foods it's got clothing it's got it's got a health and beauty aids people can come in they can get his get get a basket full and totally free they're just going to get the only condition is you got to stick around because we're going to pray for you before you leave we've got english as a second language classes that are being offered for the community there found out that one of our modesto um, key members there she came up to me after we talked after we cast the vision for this she's like hey pastor did you know i'm retired i'm like yeah, i knew you're retired did you know that i retired after 30 plus years i have my master's degree in english as a second language and i would love to help you with this program I'm like hallelujah so we've got somebody that's going to lead this program it's a beautiful thing we've got recovery ministries for habits and hurts and hang-ups we've got youth sports leagues we're starting there i'm believing that god is going to give us some contractors they're going to help us put in a basketball court in the in the in the in the grassy area there we're going to put it in basketball and hockey and pickleball and it's all going to be in one court i believe that god's going to give us some contractors because if i get one contractor to say yes then the others are going to be like well i'll be a heel if i don't say yes too you know what i'm talking about we'll see if we can get some people to help us with this i'm really excited about the the english gathering the spanish gathering that we have there friday fun nights for the kids all these things are taking place through the dream center and god is providing and you might say, man, I got a vision for this, and, and I want this to be part of my, a, a part of my, missions, uh, my missions focus for 2022, and I, wanna, I want to help because there's all kinds of needs that we can do in this impoverished area, that we can help underwrite kids for sports leagues and different things that we can do, and we can connect their families to Christ through this, that we can provide the resources it's going to take to teach people and help them have a better life, that we can make sure we have enough non-perishable foods and we make sure we have enough clothing. We don't want people dumping stuff. We want to make sure we have quality things that are, that are good for people that they can take home and they can utilize. Um, maybe you say, I want to make that part of my missions giving, and, and so you do, and you make a commitment to the Lord, and then, you know, January like 20th comes along, and you're like, oh, the credit card bill came in from Christmas, so we'll get around to it someday. And we've all done things like that, haven't we? We just, just do things like that. We get distracted from the mission that God has for us. In the New Testament, Jesus speaks of the church in Ephesus, and he says in Revelation chapter 2, um, verses 4 and 5, I'm actually going to have you turn in your, in your story way back, we're going to read this way at the end, but on page 461, if you've got your story, but page 461, about halfway down, Jesus says this to the church in Ephesus, yet I hold this against you, you have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen, repent and do the things you did at first, if you don't repent, I will come to you and I'm going to remove your lampstand from its place. We're guilty of doing that. 
And that's what happened with the, 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 Jewish, the Jewish people. They've forgotten, they've forsaken their first love. They got distracted. C.S. Lewis, I love it, he says it this way. He says, if you put first things first, you get second things thrown in. But if you put second things first, you lose both first and second things. Now I'm gonna have to say it again because maybe that didn't register with you. If you put first things first, you get second things thrown in. But if you put second things first, you lose both first and second things. My guess is these Jewish believers um, uh, had, 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 were well-intentioned. They, they, they believed that they were um, gonna get back to the project. See, they stopped building the temple. They started and then they stopped. They lost their motivation. They lost their mojo, just like you do. And, and it was, they thought, well, I'll get back to it next week. Sure. I'll get back to it maybe, give me a couple, give me, just give me, give me the, just give me, next year, things are gonna be different. And one year turned into two years, turned into four years, turned into eight years, turned into 16 years. And they, they, I mean, it was a, it was a project that was an abandoned construction site. And for 16 years, they kept saying, well, we're gonna pick it up soon. We're gonna get back to it soon. We're, we made a commitment 20 weeks ago. I'll get, I'll, get, I'll, get, I'll get back to it soon. And we make those commitments. And it's not about guilt and it's not about judgment. It's just about I get it. And they, they make the commitment, but they don't keep the commitment. And second things end up becoming first things. And the weeds began to grow. The weeds began to kind of grow. And before long, the foundation to the church, which had been laid, looked much like the foundation to their own hearts of faith. Covered over. 16 years is enough time for the leaders of other nations to come in and say, hmm, this is what you think of your God. 16 years is enough time for a four-year-old who, who, who can't remember because they're four, Mom and dad working diligently to follow the first thing that God had called them to, rebuilding the temple. But it sure is long enough for them to become 20 years old and seeing how much mom and dad don't care about God. Oh. And, 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 and it was enough time for that generation to say, well, you, you might care about God, mom and dad, because you sure talk about God, but, but you certainly don't care about his mission. Remember, though, Trini, Pastor Trini said so well, the upper story. God's vantage point, all he wants in summary is he wants to have a relationship with you. That's what he wants. That's what he's been working for, for thousands of years. And he will do whatever it takes. So what does God do? God raises up another guy. He raises up another prophet. And this prophet is, is by the name of Haggai. H, I'm just gonna put H-A-G because I don't know how to spell it. And, and Haggai was a prophet that God raised up and his, his sole purpose was to call the children of Israel who were in exile, um, who abandoned the project. After 16 years, he calls them to say, guys, repent, turn away from this. And he spoke to the people about this little predicament that as it turns out, wasn't such a little predicament in God's eyes after all. Their distraction from his temple. And he tells them, this is what God thinks about your 
passivity. And I want to read it to you from page 266 and 267. If you'll turn there, please, the bottom of page 266. Then the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your own paneled houses while this house remains in ruin? Oh, snap! Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. And I'm sure they're leaning forward and probably cowering down a little bit. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Can you feel it? And now he's going to tell them what God says to do about it. How many of you appreciate the fact that we don't just have a God that says, you're acting like a nut job, but he tells you how to fix it. That's That's a good parenting tip, by the way. Don't just make your kids feel like they're, they're failed. Tell them how they can fail forward. And here we go. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Get careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. This is how God responds to a person who has lost their passion for God and has misplaced their priorities about the things of this world versus the things of God. You ever wonder what God does when we treat his mission like an option? You can't treat the mission of God like an option. I feel like I'm preaching to the choir because I feel like as I look out and I know you, most everybody in here is already all in from what I can tell you. I'm ch- Listen, it's just like listening to a message about giving. Like Trin talked a little bit about or giving earlier. If you're already giving, it just makes you feel really good and thankful that you're giving, right? And so if you're already all in, this should make you feel thankful that you're all in. But if there's an element of your life that you're holding back from God, that's what I want us to consider. Because what happens when we don't make, uh, when we treat God's mission like an option, difficulties will come. God brought a drought into the land then. All of life was marked by futility. Even though people planted, they didn't have really much of a harvest. Even though they ate what they thought was going to be really, really good food, it wasn't very satisfying. You ever done that before? Sat down to a meal? Oh, this is going to be delicious. You know, it's just fair to Midland, right? But you just keep on shoveling it in, thinking maybe the next bite, maybe the next bite, and it's just not that good. Their thirst was never quenched. They put in a security system, but they never felt safe. That's what happens. Life doesn't work. We just spin our wheels. It's called futility. And for 16 years, they have been, they have been going around in circles giving the wrong impression to their kids. Now, oh, we love God. We just, we just don't have time for him. Mm-hmm. They proclaimed they were doing good. But I, I submit to you in their hearts, they knew that they weren't. Because in their hearts, they weren't doing what God had asked them to do. And so here's what I want to show you. They were in exile. Now they're back home, but they're still living in exile. 
they've, they've, they've changed their address, but they've not changed their situation. Have you ever done that? You ever thought, you ever thought to yourself, well, if, if I just lived in such and such a city, things would be better. And so you move to Lathrop, right? Or, or, you, or, you, moved, or you moved to whatever, Manteca or Modesto or, or Lodi or wherever you're driving here from. And, and, and you, things are gonna be better. If I can just live in that neighborhood, things are gonna be better. And, and you say that to yourself, and maybe for a little while it feels like it is better. But, but here's, here's the truth. As your friend and your pastor, people ask me to pray. Would you pray, pray with me, pastor? Is this where I'm supposed to live? And I gotta be honest with you, I feel like I'm wasting my time a lot of times. I don't think God cares where you live. I don't, I really, I think that's more on the permissive will of God's side than the perfect will of God's side. You see what I'm talking about? I mean, he's like, like within this area, I'm calling you to this area, you know, you just pick a house or whatever and I'll, I'll bless you and you know, I'm gonna provide for him. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it is more, I don't know, but I think there's something else to this. We should be spending a little bit more time about this. I, God wants to be in the first place in your life. That's the starting place. And if he's in the first place in your life, then he's gonna throw maybe second place in there for you as well. The people of Israel, they had to understand that, that they had to make sure God's priority was their priority. See, before they were going to experience freedom from exile, even though they're at home, <laughs> even though they're at home, they're still living in exile, they had to make sure that God came before anything else. And in this case, God's instructions were clear. Build the temple. Build it, that's where I dwell. This is before Jesus, right? So they had to have a dwelling place for God. And then he said, you'll experience freedom from exile. I think that's true for us too. Very true. I wanna be clear. I don't mean we need to go out and build a giant temple. We're not talking about that. We've already got a building here in, in Lathrop and we've got one in Modesto, right? But it, it doesn't mean that the church building is the temple. We wanna be very clear about this. That's Old Testament. In fact, in the book of Acts in the New Testament, Stephen was preaching, who happened to be the first Christian martyr, the first Christian who was executed for his faith, and he gave a speech, and that speech ended getting him put to death. He says in Acts chapter 7, verse 48, however, the Most High does not live in houses made by men. That's why we can have church in a school, which we did before. We can have church in a, in a community center. We can have church in a senior center. We can have church in a park. We can have church in a warehouse. We can have church in a movie theater. We can have church in a church building. We can have church in a parking lot. We can have church in houses. We can have church online. And we've done all of those and we'll continue to do more. It doesn't, it's not about the building. God doesn't need a temple, nor does God want a temple. That's not his desire anymore. What does he want? He wants to be among his people and he wants his people to be close to him. I submit to you, we don't need a temple building, but we do need some temple lifestyles. So let me wrap up by sharing two very quick thoughts about what is a temple lifestyle, two traits that we need to be modern day temple builders. Number one, we need the presence of God. We need God's presence. What do I mean by that? I mean, we've got to practice being in the presence of God. Practice believing and trusting that God is pulling for you, that God is in your corner, that he wants you to make godly and God-honoring decisions in your life. How do you cultivate that? How do you do that? Peter preached 
this message, the first gospel message in the book of Acts, and remember 3,000 people got saved that day, he said, repent and be baptized and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, the temple of God is no longer a building. The temple of God is us. You are the temple of God. God lives inside of you if you put your hope and faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter six, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You house the spirit of God. So I don't have to go to church. Isn't that right, Troy? That's not what I said. That's not what I said. Um, God goes on to say where two or three are gathered together in his name, he is right there right there in the midst of them. So God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, is right here in this room right now. He's here. We come together. Um, how many of y'all know the world kind of beats us down, right? We have, we have hiccups and hurdles and challenges and frustrations and disappointments, and it takes a toll on us. So when we come together, um, we come out of the darkness and into his marvelous light, not, not because we're perfect, but because God is perfect. And when we come into his light, we can burn a little bit brighter in a dark world. And so we assemble together for inspiration and for accountability and for opportunities to worship and for communion and for giving and biblical instruction. The body is best when its members are working together. When they were working together and being zealous about the cause and the vision and the direction, God was moving in their homes and in their hearts. I love what a famous preacher from about a century ago, D.L. Moody, Dwight Moody, uh, said. One of his members came up and, and asked him, they said, um, why do you keep asking God to fill you up? And he said this answer. He said, because I leak <laughs> because I leak, because I leak. And that's why we need to practice the presence of God together. And number two, we need godly prayer. I love what happened this morning at the altars, and I love the faith and trust and hope that we have in our great and mighty God. Way back in the, in the Bible times, way back, um, this would be about 2,550 years ago, quite a history lesson, when they built the temple, the, the temple um, was built and, 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 and it had, it had a, uh, I'm just gonna kind of draw circles, I'm not, I'm not like a, it had the outer courts, but on the inside of the temple, it had the inner place. And this inner place was called the Holy of Holies. Now on the outer courts, this is a place where, where, where sacrifices uh, would be made. This is a place where the people could actually see the people could go. The people could be scattered around and they could watch the priest make sacrifices and atonement for their sin. Atonement, it's like an at-one-ment, right? It's like, it's bringing together. It's, it's different though. But where they couldn't go is they couldn't go here. Because once a year, the priest, the high priest, would have to go through a ceremony, but he would then go before God, God's presence. The only place where God's presence was was in the inner, inner place, the holy of holies. And once a year, God said, you can come into my presence. So, so the, 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 the high priest would go in and he would make atonement so the people could be atoned for their sins. They would tie a rope around his ankle so when he went in, if there was anything inside of him, a secret sin or even an unknown sin that he wasn't aware that he had committed, um, what, would, what would happen to him is, is he dropped dead. And then they, they grab onto the rope outside and they just kind of you know, pull, 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 pull him out of the thing, right? Because, because he, was, he was dead. 
and ain't nobody gonna go in after him because they would die too. Because to go into the presence of God meant you were going to die. Hmm. And so the high priest had this great job of making sure that he was totally cleansed from his own sins so that he could go in and make, make atonement, make atonement for our sins. But the people, the people never got to go in. The people never got to experience ever, ever God's presence. In 1996, I uh, moved my family from the church that we were associate pastors at because I really felt that God had called and Keely agreed that God had called us to go pastor, senior pastor, our first church in, uh, in the state of Iowa. And we took this church of, uh, well, it was seven people, but our family of six made it 13 people. And so overnight, for one weekend, we were the fastest growing church in the United States of America. So we, it was amazing, it was wonderful. Per capita, whatever, but you know, it was wonderful. Um, and and uh, one thing about that church was it had a beautiful sanctuary. And, and it, was, it was small, but it was beautiful. In the back of the, the auditorium, the sanctuary, back of the stage was, was right, beh- right behind here. There were, there, were, there were a couple of doors. Um, and when I got there, it really, it really bothered me because, because on, on those doors were, were, were sign. And the, the sign said it, said, it said, do not enter. And, and you know why it said do not enter because this was an abandoned construction site. This building had been built 31 years ago, attached to the auditorium building. 30, you got to picture it, 31 years ago. 12,000 square foot building um, was built uh, and it, was, it, it, it only had contractor's lights in it. It only had uh, concrete on the, fr- the top floor, but sand down in the lower level. It didn't even have stairs going down. So, I mean, if you went through those doors and you decided you, were, you tripped and you went where the stairs should have been, you'd fall 14 feet or whatever down and down. They didn't want anybody getting hurt. So they put these signs up that said, that said do not enter. It meant it's, it's off limits. Don't go back there. But I remember... I'm 26 years old, interviewing at this church, nailed the interview. I was the only applicant, but I nailed the interview, right? And um, I think they, th- they said to themselves, well, <laughs> what other choice do we have, right? Anyway, so I, I, I was grateful for it, and we went with a great vision, but I never, ever, ever, ever forgot the do not enter signs that were on, on the doors. The building was intended to be for children, to kids ministries, for teen ministries, for counseling. Uh, it was intended to be for a fellowship hall, for gatherings and social events for the community. It was intent, training should have been in there, offices should have been in there, but nobody was allowed to go inside. We eventually, to the glory of God, were able to finish the building when the five years we were there, that's not very long, right? I'm much, I'm much older now, I could hold my breath for five, you know what I'm talking about, right? I feel like it, but in the five years we were there, finished the building, uh, fully paid for, with donations from outside revenue sources. God did a wonderful work. We had maps, missionaries come and do the construction, retired con- contractors and different things from all over the nation. I really got behind the project. We finished the building, brought back the original pastor who built the building some 31 years ago. He's now 80-something years old. Uh, had him uh, come and do the dedication ceremony to the building, and about three months later, he died. But he got to see his vision f- brought to full fruition. It was a beautiful, beautiful ceremony. It was a wonderful, wonderful time. And I spoke at that event about about the do not enter signs that were there. For centuries, the children of Israel couldn't get in to see the presence of God because they also had a, a sign that was blocking them. Oh, oh, let's do this. You see, you see, blocking them 
to not, they could come here, but they couldn't come here because there was something that separated them from the Holy of Holies. It was a giant sign. It was a giant sign. Some people say it's a curtain. Theological differences, I'm going to call it a sign. And it was a sign that said, do not enter. Now, it didn't really say that, but this is how my brain works. Because it was a curtain. And we think about a curtain, we think about a little curtain, like, right there, and it blows. This is a four-inch thick, heavy, heavy, heavy curtain that was Today, today we're told that it would be impossible for any human being to rip that without, an, without any industrial technology helping you do that. <laughs> there was a curtain that was there. And I'm just envisioning, it probably didn't say it, but I'm just envisioning that they, they walked in and they would see this curtain and probably a giant sign that just communicated to do not enter. Do not enter into what? Do not enter into the presence of, of God. Hmm. But what they could do is they could watch the sacrifices from nearby. And those sacrifices needed to be made because the people couldn't be forgiven. They couldn't be, their sins couldn't be atoned for if sacrifices couldn't be made. So they would bring spotless lambs and doves and all kinds of animals. And then the priest would sacrifice them outside. But once a year, he would go through the curtain and he would get forgiveness for their sins. But it, it, it wasn't for that, Troy. It wasn't for forgiveness. It wasn't about forgiveness. It was about, it was about forward. See, they didn't believe that the priest would go in once a year to get them forgiveness for their sins. That wasn't the truth. The priest would go in once a year so their sins could be forwarded to the next year. And then their sins could be forwarded to the next year. And then their sins could be forwarded to the next year. Until one day, God would provide the ultimate spotless lamb of Almighty God that would come as a baby, born, born in a manger, and he would ultimately give his life as a ransom for ours. They believed that it would put their sins off for another year until one day, Jesus would come to become that perfect sacrificial lamb. And no longer would your sins be put off into the future somewhere. But at that point, your sins would be wiped away to be remembered no more. And 550 years later, after this temple was built, God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. And when he died upon that cross at Calvary, it is finished. And when he died upon <laughs> the first thing in all of history that happened, the Bible says that that curtain, that do not enter sign was torn in two. The curtain was torn from top to bottom. Why is that important? Because the implication is that man didn't tear it from earth up, but God tore it from heaven down. Now, no longer is there any... You don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to go through a pastor. You don't have to go through a church board. You don't even have to go through a church. You go straight to God with all your needs, with all your fears, with all your concerns, with all of your struggles. You can talk directly to God. And that's why this story is so important. Because without this story, without understanding from whence we've come, we don't know where we're at. Don't ever... 
ever take for granted the fact that you personally can talk to God because for thousands of years, they couldn't. Mighty God, thank you for your word. We know it will never, ever, ever return void. We thank you that you're in charge of our lives and we're so very, very grateful that we can trust you in the little things and in the big things. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, the Jews, man, they got fired up about their return home. They were, they were look, looking in the rearview mirror at Babylon and they were gonna get out of exile and they were gonna head home and so they went to build the temple but distractions interfered. God got their attention. I don't know what God is saying to you today, but I do know there are different kinds of distractions that can get in the way of your relationship with God, just like with me. It's my prayer that we remove some of those distractions, that we're going to replace some of those distractions with times of practicing God's presence and times of prayer, seeking him as his people. Would you just honor God with a quick answer to a question? Something distracting you from God? Something keeping you from fulfilling the mission that God has given to you? It might be a major thing, but it might be a series of a few minor things that in my 27 years of pastoral ministry experience, being a follower of Jesus, (laughs) let me tell you, those little things have a way of quickly becoming big things. It's time to remove the distractions. And I don't want to wait till January 1st to do our resolution time together. Maybe you should resolve this Christmas season that I'm going to put first things first and not second things first. And I'm going to trust that all these things will be added unto me. So if there's something in your life that's coming between you and God, something in your life that's keeping you from God's best, from fulfilling God's mission and vision for your life, then I'm going to count to three. And when I do get to three, I'm going to ask you to courageously raise your hand. I wouldn't embarrass you for all the money in the world, but, but what we will do is we're going to come clean today because I think you know, and I know that God knows, and I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it, that he's not mad at you. He's not angry with you. He wants to be in relationship with you at a deeper level than ever before. One two, three. Put your hand up. God, I'm confessing it to you right now. God, I put something before you and I don't want it to be before you anymore. I put first things first in my life. Second things have got to go. And God, today I pledge to you that I will trust you completely with everything in my being. Hallelujah. Say that to God. You are first. You are first. You are first, God. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Hallelujah. Well, I want to wish you a very Merry Christmas season. Some of you will be traveling the next week. We hope that you're, you're safe wherever you're going. And hopefully as family comes into town, you'll have that Christ-like stance in your life that says, as for me and my house, we're going to go to church. As for me and my house, we're going to celebrate God together. What a great time to bring people to Christmas Eve gatherings and the children's programs and all the things we have happening. I hope that you'll continue to be a part. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you. May he give you rest and may he give you peace. God bless you, friends. Have a great Sunday. Y'all are dismissed. Amen, amen, amen.